Let me just ask for God's guidance, and we'll get into Isaiah 62 here. <clears throat> God, yeah, I just pray you would guide. Guide my words. Guide our affections. Show us your pleasure in us. Amen. Isaiah 62. Wow. Did you guys hear that? Did you hear what she said? You're going to marry God. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to tell people that. And I was like, is that too much? Like, what if we have new visitors? They're not used to me. And I just come out, you are going to marry God. But this is literally what it says. This is, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, there's the metaphor, so shall your God rejoice over you. You will marry God, right? So often I've talked about how we just, we have to embrace the fact that we talk in fairy tale terms. You're going to marry God? I'm going to be changed. Here, look what's going on here. I was forsaken. This is verse Four, this is who I am, forsaken, desolate. That will change. The essence of who I am will change. I will now be, my delight is in you and married. I will go from ugly duckling to swan, right? From frog to prince, from this to that. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. There's part of me sometimes that, hesitates about the extremities in, these, in, the, in the Bible. And I'm like, God, do we really want to talk about this? <laughs> to tell people that basically God is going to perform magic on you. Right? He's going to cast a spell with his words. He's going to speak an incantation. Right? You're going to go from being forsaken to married. How? The, the voice of the Lord will speak. It will tell you who you are. And who you are is his delight. And that incantation will change you. Essentially, from root to fruit, everything. There's temptations to dumb this down sometimes. I'm telling you, literally, I was, as I was thinking about this yesterday, it's like, can I talk that way? Listen to this. This is a book about preaching, but it's about the heart, and it just stuns me. I, I was rereading it yesterday. It says this. The preacher is apt or tempted to preach the gospel with the high magic taken out. The deep mystery reduced to a manageable size. Rather than offering people the peace that passeth all understanding, it's reduced to peace that anybody can understand. Rather than the faith that can move mountains and raise the dead, it becomes the faith that can help make life bearable until death. You cannot blame him because up to a point, of course, he is right. With part of ourselves, we are as offended as he is by what is too much for us to believe. We weren't born yesterday. We're from Iowa, right? He actually says we're from Missouri, but... Make you understand. I want you to understand. <laughs> yes, we're from Iowa. But we are also from somewhere else. We are from Oz. 
from Narnia from Middle Earth. I was struck by this yesterday. It was like, I was reading this powerfully, beautifully written. And he says, tell the, the gospel is tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale. And he's getting into this fairy tale imagery and language. And I was so excited. And I was like, why? Like, why is this so exciting? And I think the reason is it, it, it touches me, something in me, right, that that's actually who I am, that I am from Oz, that this is not home, that I'm meant for the stars. You're meant for the stars. You're going to marry God. God, infinite, powerful, beautiful, perfect, delightful. He's got game. He knows how to talk. He knows how to act. He knows how to thrill. He knows how to take you out. He knows how to show you the town and show you the world. That's who you're going to marry. And he's going to rejoice over you. That's too much. Why? I have a pretty good life. In terms of on paper, right? Like, I love my job. I love my team. I love my wife. I love my kids. Like, why don't you just chill out? It's because I do see them, and I see me, and, and I love, let's stick with my family. I love my family, and they're broken. Oh, I don't want to throw them under the bus right now. We, we, I just see brokenness, and, that, and that's a tragedy, but it suggests the possibility of splendor. See that? There's, oh, is this it? Why is this unsatisfying because the possibility of something splendid is that a dream is that a lie is there anything splendid is that it's just a made-up word splendor listen to this this is a man named bertrand russell who's a old atheist philosopher before his death he said there is darkness without and when I die, there will be darkness within. There is no splendor. No vastness anywhere. Only triviality for a moment and then nothing. So is that true? Or are we going to marry God? That's what Ephesians says about splendor. Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, clean her, right? Because we're going to talk about this more in a minute, but when I tell you you're going to marry God, part of you, it seems wrong because you know you. And you're like, that doesn't seem like a match, right? Because I'm not godly. But here's what Christ is doing. He died for you, paid the price for your sins, brings you near, sanctifies you. He's cleansing you by the washing of water with the word. He's cleansing you, Right? What for? That he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And right now it's hard to believe that I would marry God because I see spots and more wrinkles every day. And I'm not holy and without blemish, but with the word, see the incantation here? It's the washing of water with the word. He's speaking life and transformation and beauty over this church. Why? That she might be presented to himself in splendor 
and they may be wedded. It's a lot. A little help from Beekner. Is this a dream? I'm just hoping against hope here. He says, why do we spend vast sums of money to go to the moon and Mars? You'll hear all kinds of talk about learning this and that from it, about beating the Russians. This is also beating China, right? To the draw and about establishing colonies for one purpose or another. But anybody who knows anything, any child, at least the child in any of us, knows that we go shooting off into space because just possibly, impossibly, the Wizard of Oz is there. Our fascination with flying saucers reflects our deep hunger for the wholeness that lies east of the sun and west of the moon. Those great mandalas that float through the sky with healing in their wings. We're homesick. Otherwise, you just would not venture out. You just, if you're home, you just relax. You're homesick. When we look up at the distant stars, we know, as we have always dimly guessed, that more even than the earth, they are home. Why did God make the world? Different ways to put it, to be glorified for his glory. I put it this way, to reveal the Christ. It's true, right? He's made the earth and trees so he can make a cross. It's the purpose of trees for the cross, to hang the sun and display his love for the church. Wow, yes. There's the other half of it, for the, for the church. God made the world so he could make a bride. Think about that. I mean, this is the imagery in the scripture. We have to ask ourselves, like, is it because God is lonely? Is God lonely? No. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, enjoy and love forever. But he made the world so he could make the bride. Why? Because he is at his essence a lover. It's not from loneliness. It's from love. To spread. He's a spreader of love and passion and delight. He's an includer. Right? But when I tell you you're going to marry God, it's hard to believe because you feel like a frog. Right? You feel desolate, forsaken. Partly because of circumstances, right? Failure, illness, death. The Jews just went through exile, terrible circumstances. But I don't think it's mostly that. I think it's mostly... Us. We know we're not holy and without blemish, right, in and of ourselves. And so this idea that we're created to marry God is outlandish. Listen to this. There's this book called Till We Have Faces. This is required reading for membership. So if you haven't read it, your membership is revoked. <laughs> Just kidding, uh, but you should read it. It's called Till We Have Faces. It's by... C.S. Lewis, and um, it's, it's, it's kind of old Greek world, ancient Greek world, mid-fantasy, sci-fi. There's a character named Psyche. 
She's a woman, and she's a, her destiny is to be wed to this God. So she tells of the experience. She goes to this house. She hears voices, enter your house. And she's stunned still. She, yes, they called it my house. Enter your house, and they're announcing her psyche, the bride of the God. She said, I was ashamed of my mortality and terribly afraid. But it's right, in a sense, to feel that way, right? We seem mismatched here. So what, what are the options? Leave, turn away. But it would have been worse shame and worse fear to disobey. I went cold, small, shaking, up the steps and through the porch and into the courtyard. There was no one to be seen. But then voices came all around me, bidding me welcome. What kind of voices, her sister asks, like women's voices. Enter, lady. Enter, mistress. Do not be afraid. And so they brought me into a cool parlor with an arched roof where there was a table set out with fruit and wine, such fruits as never seen. They said, refresh yourself, lady, before the bath. After it comes the feast. You see it? He's washing you with the word. It's the bath. And after that comes the feast. I knew they were all spirits, and I wanted to fall at their feet, but I dare not. If they made me mistress of that house, mistress I should have to be. Yet all the time I was afraid there might be some bitter mockery in it, and that at any moment terrible laughter might break out. But oh, was I wrong, sister, utterly wrong. They gave me fruit, they gave me wine, and when I took the cup, I felt the other hands touching my own. Again, that burning, though without pain, that was terrible. She blushed suddenly, and I wondered why, laughed. She said this, it wouldn't be terrible now. So when she first gets there, the touchings of these spirits are terrible. But now she laughs and says, it wouldn't be terrible now. Why? She'd been changed. How? By what? By who? <laughs> oh, jeez. Is this attractive? I was driving home. We went to a wedding yesterday. I was driving home, just, just staring out the window, fascinated with this. Why? Because I'm a dreamer. It wouldn't be terrible now. They had me to the bath. It is in the most delicate pillared court open to the sky, and the water is like crystal and smells sweet as this whole valley. I was terribly shy when it came to taking my clothes off. But you said they were all she spirits. Oh, you don't understand. This shame has nothing to do with he or she. It's the being mortal. Being, how shall I say it, insufficient. Don't you think a dream would feel shy if it were seen walking about in the waking world? Come on. 
Why aren't you reading this? Listen to that again. Don't you think a dream would feel shy if it were seen walking about in the waking world? Do you know what that means? This is the dream. That's the waking world. And so God's calling us to, to the waking world, to be made alive forever. And we feel shy because we feel like dreams and frogs. And then they dressed me again in the most beautiful things. And then came the banquet and the music. And then they had me to bed. And then the night came. And then he, we'll leave it there. They're going to marry God. He's going to transform us. He's transforming us now, but there will be that final moment when he'll speak that final word over us, and it will no longer burn, right? We will no longer be ashamed because we will be immortal, right? This mortality must put on immortality. And then we will be a suitable bride. Suitable bride. Hmm. There's a book or a short story called The Happy Hypocrite. It tells about a man named Lord George Hell. Name your kid that. Um, He's a party animal, right? He's debauched and profligate, it says. Are you profligate? You know what that means? It means uh, means he's, what do you call it, reckless in spending, right? So he's a partier, he's being reckless, right? He's no saint, but he falls in love with a saintly girl. And in order to win her love, He covers his bloated features with the mask of a saint. The girl is deceived and becomes his bride. And they live happily together until a wicked lady from George Hell's wicked past turns up to expose him for the scoundrel she knows him to be. And she challenges him to take off his mask. So, sadly, having no choice, he takes it off. And lo and behold, beneath the saint's mask, is the, faint, the face of the saint he has become by wearing it in love. So do you sometimes feel like you're just wearing a mask? Well, I'm here to tell you that if you're wearing it in faith, right, that you, you know that at the root your hope is Christ and you do feel incompatible because you see your blemishes, but you... Stay the course and fight for joy. Underneath, there's a real saint being developed. It says this, For better or worse, in the world of the fairy tale, transformations are completed. And one thinks of an angel in the book of Revelation who gives to each a white stone with a new name written on it, which is the true and hidden name that he was named with, even from the foundations of the world. And in Isaiah 62, we learn that that name, there may be more to this, but it's no less than this, is my delight 
is in her. So I mentioned I went to a wedding yesterday, and you know, I actually wore the same shirt. I slept in it. Someone asked me, are you, at, are you dressed for a wedding or a funeral? And I was like, what's the difference? Right? Ooh. So, and they were like, all right, get away, weirdo. <laughs> Everything always has to be so weird. Um, now, usually, most weddings I've been to, I, I do the wedding, right? The pastor, preacher. So people ask me to do that. It's great. So my view is the bride. And I love it. Everybody loves it, right? She comes in, everyone stands and looks and... Man, it's just a glory. She's done up in splendor, right? It's a picture they're painting of the wedding. It's a beauty. Yesterday, I didn't do the wedding, so I got to see the groom. Oh, that's something. Oh, I got to see him see the bride. You've seen it. That's how God looks at you. Picture God's face. What is his face? What is his countenance towards you? He tells us right here what it is. He uses a metaphor. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. And then they sang over one another. Right? So we sang as part of the wedding. And the bride and groom are down there facing one another, singing over one another. And there's part of me that's like, oh, that seems a little awkward. But it's only because I'm a frog. <laughs> What's awkward about this? To sing over your love? This should be the most natural, beautiful, free, delightful thing ever. Are we going to sing to God in heaven? Right? People say, oh, I picture heaven like a worship service, and we're just going to sing, and that seems boring. Like, well, even that sounds fun to me. But why are we singing? It's a response to his song over us. He will sing to you in heaven. <laughs> it's not that we've had it wrong. It's that we've had it incomplete. Yes, we sing praises. And he sings praises, Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, right? He will rejoice. Now, let me get this right. The Lord God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Not just singing. He's, he's given over. Fairy tale. Now, application. <laughs> Here's what you must do. <laughs> I'd like to finish with burdens. No. Um. <laughs> but actually, be excited. So you've talked to people who are engaged, the wedding's approaching. Are they, they're excited. They're excited. Like, chin up. Right? There's griefs and sorrows, and we can talk about the complexities of all that. Like, but you are moving toward something, your wedding with God. You're engaged. Be excited.
Is that an application? Is that enough? Like, but see, so much flows from that. And there's each one of you that could look different. That's why there's a thousand applications. But from that excitement, there's a million possibilities of generosity and joy and celebration and sacrifice and encouragement, courage. So be excited and invite your friends. That's what you do, right? There's a wedding. You invite friends and enemies. That's where the gospel is a little different. Do you invite your enemies to your wedding? Did any of you do that? Well, when you asked me to preach, you did. You didn't know. No. Just kidding. I love you. But you invite, right? So this is, this is mission. We're excited. Right? This, is, this has to become the compelling, controlling posture of our lives. That like, This is our posture. This is who we are. We are engaged to God. Oh, start saying that to people. What do you do? Why, I me? I'm waiting for my wedding. Just be provocative, you know? You get fired, but this guy's a polygamist. All right, no. <laughs> no, no, wait, I'll explain. No, Oh, that's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> so, God, I pray you would kindle within us. There's this spirit of man and the spirit of God that you've put within us that longs for you. And it can be dulled, and it can be long, and we can be distracted and there's all kinds of stuff. But the root, the truth, is who we are, is we are marching toward union with you. And I pray that would just take root. Even as Paul prays in Ephesians 3, that he prays that we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the height and depth and width and breadth of the love of God in Christ. So we're striving, we're longing, pray for your spirit to come and <laughs> I, I literally just, this popped into my head and it seems cheesy, but lift us up where we belong. It's, a, it's an old 80s song, right? But come, lift us up. That's where we belong, God. <sighs> Amen. Let me invite the response team up and uh, musicians and communion servers. And we're going to sing. Now remember, this is a two-way song. He is singing over us and through us. It's his breath in our lungs, that whole kind of thing. So he rejoices over us with loud singing. We should do the same. And we're going to do that. Thank God for the gift of music. If you feel like God is revealing something to the church through you, some word or Prophecy that he's revealed to you, we ask that you would submit that to Glenn and Cedar Falls and MC. I'm sorry, Glenn and Cedar Rapids and the MC and Cedar Falls. And we'll sort through that with you. We're going to take communion. I'm going to be very clear. I, I talked about it. But the path to the wedding is through Christ. It's one way. 
It's his sacrifice. It's through his blood, through his washing, that we are transformed from desolate to married, from forsaken to being delighted in. It's through Christ, right? So it's a great, awesome, incredible gift through one great, awesome, incredible God. Jesus on the cross, dying for his bride, right? And this is where we come and celebrate and remember that, right? Where we take the cup and the bread, and they're symbols that we're called to remember through, right? Jesus says this when he's with his disciples. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given or broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Because right now, our, right, it's like our, our groom, our, the one we're engaged to, he's, he's gone away. He's coming back, and we wait. And we want to continue to long for and remember him. So we do this in remembrance of him. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Pretty straightforward. It represents his broken body and blood poured out for us. And we remember and celebrate through that. So let's do that. And uh, yeah, God, come serve us. Amen.